Hello and welcome to the Career Speakeasy, a casual, fun, and irreverent place to share ideas about career development, the world of work, and life in general. I'm your host and proprietress, Kelly Nottingham. Growing your career should not be boring. So come on in, pull up a chair, and pick your poison. First, I'd like to say thank you for bearing with me during some major life changes over the past six months. We bought a fixer-upper house, I did a bunch of repairs, and we still have more to go, but that's okay. We moved, uh, rented the farm to a friend, I started a new consulting job, and some family moved into town. So lots going on. I had to step away from the podcast for a little while because, honestly, my brain was so frazzled that I didn't feel like I had much to say. But... I am back, and boy, do I have something to say today. All right, so this episode is about quiet quitting, which is such a big term right now. I wanted to just share some key thoughts that I was having about quiet quitting. Now, if you haven't heard the term quiet quitting yet, well, it popped up very recently on social media as a way to reduce stress and burnout at work. So what does it look like? What does that mean? Well, it doesn't mean actually quitting your job. It means basically doing only what's required for your job, setting boundaries that say, I'm not going to do more than I'm being paid to do. Now, First off, let me just say that as a person who has in my career given way more than laid out in my job description, I get it. Being asked to continually go above and beyond means that basically your job now includes the above and beyond stuff. Like what used to be above and beyond is now just the norm for your job. And when we're not getting paid extra to do extra, that's infuriating. This is one of the reasons why when people sort of glorify becoming salaried versus being an hourly employee, I'm throwing out all kinds of caution signs. You will end up working more hours for the same price than an hourly person because an hourly person working overtime hits the old company wallet. Salaried folks, no, you're the same price, whether you work 40 hours or 60 hours. So work 60 hours, please. So this idea of quiet quitting, of staying at a job but not going above and beyond, is cropping up now because a lot of people are being asked to do more without extra pay or extra benefits. But is it actually a solution to the problems that we're facing? Well, that's what today's episode is all about. So here's my take on quiet quitting. This is something that we've seen over the course of my career in professional development and learning and development, but we've seen it called different things. Quiet quitting is basically another entry into this conversation around topics like work-life balance, around setting boundaries at your job, around what we in the HR field call disengagement versus engagement of employees. I see quiet quitting as a continuation of the same theme and an expansion of the discussion around these issues of being asked to continually do more and more. So why does this topic come up again and again? Now, I personally believe that a lot of this really down, way, way down at the root 
comes from the idea of identity and identifying ourselves with our work and with our jobs. This is, I think, a particularly Western way of looking at work and identity. And I would even go further than that and say that Americans in particular tend to do this above and beyond what most other cultures that I've ever experienced do. Uh, So, for example, I mean, you can even look at names in Western societies and see that a lot of names come from occupations or trades. So, you know, Michael the Miller is out there milling corn in the Middle Ages, and pretty soon he gets to be known as Michael Miller or Michael Farmer or Taylor or Hunter. There are lots of these names that originally delineated what a person did for a living, and that eventually turned into their identity, their actual name. And when an American meets somebody new, one of the first questions inevitably is, hey, what do you do? We're not talking about hobbies, y'all. We're not talking about what do you like to do on the weekends for fun. The question is, what do you do for a living? And it's one of those key identifiers that we use for first meeting people. So it's not uncommon for us to associate our identity with the work that we do. Now, for a whole other layer on top of this is something that I'm going to be talking about in more detail in an upcoming episode, which is our life purpose and how many of us tie our sense of purpose with our productivity. A lot of us find our sense of self in the work that we do. And in this idea of productivity and accomplishing something useful for society or accomplishing something useful for ourselves and our families, we tie that concept in with who we are and who we are begins to equal what we do. This identification of our sense of self with our work is, I believe, at the root of these conversations around work-life balance, around setting boundaries at work, around engagement versus disengagement, and now around conversations about quiet quitting. So I'm going to stop there for just a moment and ask you, how do you identify yourself? Do you identify yourself with what you do? And even if you say no, I'm going to push back on that just a little bit because this goes a whole other level much deeper. There's an idea that to be of value to the world, to be of value to humanity, to be worthwhile and to be worthy of affection or having a place in society, that you may be equating that sense of worthiness or that sense of value with doing and accomplishing. Now, value in itself is a pretty heavy term. Like we we talk about things having value, but it's usually in reference to monetary value or being useful to people. Again, the doing. When we go to get insurance on our homes or our apartments, for example, and we get insurance on our stuff and they say, okay, well, what has value in your home? Well, you talk about like your electronics or your jewelry But you don't necessarily talk about like, well, this little toy that I had as a child that's valued, you know, $2, it has a lot of intrinsic value to me and emotional value to me. We don't end up putting that on our insurance claims. So when we look at this idea of value, of worthiness, 
And we associate that with productivity, with doing things that are of value. We are again tying our identity in with what we do and with what we can accomplish. Now, the sad thing is that this means there's always going to be a void there, an emptiness, because we can always do more. We can always accomplish bigger and better things and therefore be valued more. And so this is coming from a place of scarcity, a place of lacking. Our identity is tied to a constant feeling of needing to catch up, of constantly feeling behind, of constantly feeling that we could be doing more. And therefore, if we could just do a little bit more, we could be of a little bit more value. If we could be of more value, if we could just work harder, that means that doing what we're doing now isn't enough. We are not enough. When we start instead to tie our identity to concepts of being, of identifying ourselves as a person who is of value simply because we exist, that we are of value because we have life, and we start to identify ourselves coming from that place of I am enough, I have value because I exist, this suddenly becomes a very different conversation. So for those of you who are tying yourselves to these ideas of maybe I should just disengage from my job. I'm exhausted all the time at my work and I feel like I can never do enough. So I'm just going to pull back. A large part of that is because of where we tie our identity. We don't tie our identity as much with our community anymore or with our family anymore, with our social circles And that's where we used to have our identity. We were part of a a family or a clan or a tribe or a group of people. And that was our identity. But modern society isn't built like that anymore. We don't live in a a tight-knit, small community our entire lives anymore. And when we have this breakdown of community and we're distancing ourselves from other human beings, it becomes much harder to find that sense of intrinsic identity. We try to find it online sometimes with limited success, especially in social media, uh, because social media tends to cause us to become consumers of information still at a distance. And I don't know, when we're putting our stuff on social media, we're generally talking about what we do. And so it again ties into this idea of, am I accomplishing enough? Now, personally, I think this is one of the reasons why social media feels absolutely exhausting a lot of the time, because it just puts us in this identity position of I'm not doing enough. I'm comparing myself to all these other people that are doing all these different things, and I'm not doing those things. And I could be doing more and talking about it more and posting videos of myself doing it more. And therefore, I am not as valuable as these other people who are supposedly doing a lot more than I am, who are accomplishing a lot more than I am. Now, to add another layer on top of this, companies are now trying to fill this identity gap. Now, going back, I would say starting in the like 90s, you start seeing conversations about purpose and finding your purpose in your work, finding your worth and your value tied to the work that your company does. This is something that especially in the last 20 years, companies have really started pushing on 
And I would say probably starting in the 90s, but it got really much more focused and overt in the 2000s, into the 20-teens, and now in the 2020s. Companies are trying to fill that community and identity void. If you feel like you don't have purpose in what you do, you feel like your job has no purpose, well, companies have stepped in to try to fill that void by tying you to the company's purpose and tying employees into what the company is trying to accomplish by offering this larger sense of purpose as a corporate initiative. And I'll say, you know, the kind of touchy-feely ways, they'll say things about how they're working on changing environmental issues, or they're helping to keep people safe, or they're helping to bring families together, or create communities of caring, and so on. And I know this is cynical, Kelly, but bear with me here. They're going to say those things because maybe they're partially true, but primarily it's marketing, both internally and externally. Now, very few companies at the end of the day will sacrifice any kind of significant portion of their bottom line for these sorts of philanthropic feel-good kind of things unless they can also use them to either get employees to give more effort or to market for clients and potential employees who care about those things. Also, tax write-offs. Very few companies would donate time or money and not put out marketing communications about it. Know what I mean? Now, I'm not saying that every company is like this. You can put your keyboard down if you're getting ready to email me. I'm not saying that every company does this. But I am saying that a lot of companies will do good things for people and for the environment and for the world as a whole, whatever. But I'm also saying that this is a mechanism that companies use. And trust me when I say this, y'all, I worked in HR for a very long time. I do a lot of work on culture and engagement And this effort to market this stuff is very intentional. They market these philanthropic pieces to their employees and to prospective employees and clients so that people who say, I care about the environment, will be more intrinsically invested in an organization that says it also cares about the environment. It will create a sense of loyalty, and it will also create a sense of identity with that company's statement. Now, the company's goal, I would say 99% of company goals, revolve around finance and making money. That's why companies exist. And so if it's convenient for them to use these talking points as a way to build loyalty and build that tie of identity within their employee base, they're going to do it. Now, what I find interesting is how many companies are trying to pinpoint that idea of finding your purpose at your work because it creates engagement. It creates a stronger bottom line for companies. It lowers turnover. It gets employees to work harder, potentially even for less money. Now, is it wrong to want to do work that ties to something you care about? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. We're going to be talking about that in an upcoming episode about finding outlets for your purpose. But the key here is that it's your purpose, not someone else's purpose. If you can identify your own purpose, your own sense of worth, you can find outlets for it within an organization, but that work doesn't create your sense of worth. So why am I talking about this in relation to this idea of quiet quitting? 
Because this concept of setting boundaries and disengaging from our job emotionally and mentally and doing basically just the minimum of what's being asked of us is, I think, an effort to regain some sense of self, some sense of our own self-worth. But it's still missing some key pieces that are really important for this whole idea that actually will work for us. And frankly, this is why this whole idea of quiet quitting makes me concerned because quiet quitting is not a solution. Disengaging is not a solution unless there is re-engagement with things that truly matter. So if you're feeling in a position where you want to disengage from your work, you feel like you're not getting the fulfillment out of your work that you would like to get, maybe you're feeling overused in your work, I would like for you to think through some of these questions and statements. First of all, as we've discussed, how do you identify yourself? How do you identify the value that you have? Is your value tied to your work? Are your identity and your value tied to your productivity? What is that inner monologue, the tape going in the back of your mind that's playing all the time? What is it telling you about yourself? Is it telling you that you're not good enough, you're not doing enough, that you could be doing more, that the work you're doing isn't valuable enough? Maybe it's telling you that you feel disengaged because you're lonely. Is it telling you that you don't feel connected to your sense of purpose without a company giving you a sense of purpose? If you could accept the idea that you have intrinsic value just because you exist in this universe, not because of what you do, how would that change your perspective? If you were able to say worthiness does not equal doing, worthiness equals being, Worthiness equals existing. How would that change your perspective? And then the next step is to identify, to catch those thoughts whenever they go through your head. I'm not doing enough. I'm not accomplishing enough. And replace those thoughts with, I am enough because I am. Hugs, everyone. Take care of yourselves. Take a walk if you can. Go pet a cat or a dog. Drink some water and smile at yourself today. I will talk to you soon. Well, thanks for joining me. If you have suggestions, feedback, or just something random you want to share, email me at careerspeakeasy at gmail.com and come visit again soon. Cheers.